Chapter Thirty of the Flight of the Shadow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tibby. The Flight of the Shadow by George MacDonald. Chapter Thirty. Once more and yet again. From that hour, I set myself to look after my uncle's affairs. It was the only way to endure his absence. Working for him, thinking what he would like, trying to carry it out, referring every perplexity to him and imagining his answer, he grew so much dearer to me that his absence was filled with hope. My heart being in it, I had soon learned enough of the management to perceive where, in more than one quarter, improvement, generally in the way of saving, was possible. I do not mean by any lowering of wages, my uncle would have conned me small thanks for such improvement as that. Neither was it long before I began to delight in the feeling that I was in partnership with the powers of life, that I had to do with the operation and government and preservation of things created, that I was doing a work to which I was set by the highest, that I was at least a floor sweeper in the house of God, a servant for the good of his world. Existence had grown fuller and richer. I had come like a toad out of a rock into a larger, therefore truer universe, in which I had work to do that was wanted. Had I not been thus expanded and strengthened, how should I have patiently waited while hearing nothing of my uncle? It was not many days before John began to press me to let my uncle have his way. Where was the good any longer, he said, in our not being married? But I could not endure the thought of being married without my uncle. It would not seem real marriage without him giving me to my husband. And when John was convinced that I could not be prevailed upon, I found him think the more of me because of my resolve and my persistency in it. For John was always reasonable, and that is more than can be said of most men. Some, indeed, who are reasonable enough with men, are often unreasonable with women. If in course of time the management of affairs be taken from men and given to women, which may God for our sakes forbid, it will be because men have made it necessary by their arrogance. But when they have been kept down long enough to learn that they are not the lords of creation one bit more than the weakest woman, I hope they will be allowed to take the lead again, lest women should become what men were, and go strutting in their importance. Only the true man knows the true woman. Only the true woman knows the true man. The difficulty between men and women comes all from the prevailing selfishness, that is, untruth, of both, who, while such is their character, would be judge or divider between them, save one of their own kind. When such ceases to be their character, they will call for no umpire. John lived in his own house with his mother, but they did not meet. His mother managed his affairs, to whose advantage I need hardly say, and John helped me to manage my uncle's, to the advantage of all concerned. Every morning he came to see me, and every night rode back to his worse-than-dreary home. At my earnest request, he had a strong bolt put on his bedroom door, the use of which he promised me never to neglect. At my suggestion, too, he let it be known that he always had a brace of loaded pistols within his reach, and showed himself well practiced in shooting with them. I feared much for John. After I no longer only believed, but knew the bailiff trustworthy, and had got some few points in his management bettered, I ceased giving so much attention to details, and allowed myself more time to read and walk and ride with John. 
i laid myself out to make up to him as much as ever i could for the miserable lack of any home life at rising he had not the least sense of comfort or even security he could never tell what his mother might not be plotting against him he had a very strong clothes-box made for leander and always locked him up in it at night never allowing one of the men there to touch him the horse had all the attention any master could desire when having locked his box behind him he brought him over to us in the morning one lovely cold day in the month of march with ice on some of the pools and the wind blowing from the north i mounted zoe to meet john midway on the moor and had gone about two-thirds of the distance when i saw him as i thought a long way to my right and concluded he had not expected me so soon and had gone exploring i turned aside therefore to join him but had gone only a few yards when from some shift in a shadow or some change in his position with regard to the light i saw that the horse was not john's it was a gray or rather a white horse could the rider be my uncle even at that distance i almost thought i recognized him it must indeed have been he john saw at the quarry he had not gone abroad he had been all this long time lingering about the place lest ill should befall us just like him said my heart as i gave zoe the rein and she sprang off at her best speed but after riding some distance i lost sight of the horseman whoever he was and then saw that if i did not turn at once i should not keep my appointment with john of course had i believed it was my uncle i should have followed and followed and the incident would not have been worth mentioning for grey horses are not so uncommon that there might not be one upon the heath at any moment but for something more i saw that same night it was bright moonlight i had taken down a curtain of my window to mend and the moon shone in so i could not sleep my thoughts were all with my uncle wondering what he was about whether he was very dull whether he wanted me much whether he was going about paris or haunting the moor that stretched far into the distance from where i lay perhaps at that moment he was out there in the moonlight would be there alone in the cold wide night while i slept the thought made me feel lonely myself one is indeed apt to feel lonely when sleepless and as the moon was having a night of it or rather making a day of it all alone with herself why should we not keep each other a little company i rose drew the other curtain of my window aside and looked out i have said that the house lay on the slope of a hollow from whichever window of it you glanced you saw the line of your private horizon either close to you or but a little way off if you wanted an outlook you must climb and then you were on the moor from my window i could see the more distant edge of the hollow looking thitherward i saw against the sky the shape of a man on horseback not for a moment could i doubt it was my uncle the figure was plainly his my heart seemed to stand still with awe or was it with intensity of gladness perhaps every night he was thus near me while i slept a heavenly sentinel patrolling the house the visible one of a whole camp unseen of horses of fire and chariots of fire so entrancing was the notion that i stood there a little child a mere incarnate love the tears running down my cheeks for very bliss but presently my mood changed what had befallen him when first i saw him horse and man were standing still and i noted nothing strange blinded perhaps by the tears of my gladness but presently they moved on keeping so to the horizon line that it was plain my uncle's object was to have the house in full view and as thus they skirted the edge of heaven oh how changed he seemed his tall figure hung bent over the pummel his neck drooped heavily and the horse was so thin that i seemed to see almost to feel his bones poor thanatos 
he looked tired to death and i fancied his bent knees quivering each short slow step he took ah how unlike the happy old horse that had been i thought of death returning home weary from the slaughter of many kings and cast the thought away i thought of death returning home on the eve of the great dawn worn with his age-long work pleased that at last it was over and no more need of him i kept that thought along the skyline they held their slow way toilsome through weakness the rider with weary swing in the saddle the horse with long gray neck hanging low to his hoofs as if picking his path with purblind eyes when his rider should collapse and fall from his back not a step further would he take but stand there till he fell to pieces fancy gave way to reality i woke up called myself hard names and hurried on a few of my clothes my blessed uncle out in the night and weary to dissolution and i at a window contemplating him like a pitcher i was an evil heartless brute by the time i had my shoes on and went again to the window he had passed out of its range i ran to one on the stair that looked at right angles to mine he had not yet come within its field i stood and waited presently he appeared crawling along a gray mounted ghost in the light that so strangely befits lovers wandering in the may of hope and the wasted spectre no less whose imagination of the past reveals him to the eyes of man for an instant i almost wished him dead and at rest the next i was out of the house then up on the moor looking eagerly this way and that poised on the swift feet of love ready to spring to his bosom how i longed to lead him to his own warm bed and watch by him as he slept while the great father kept watch over every heart in his universe i gazed and gazed but nowhere could i see the death-jaded horseman i bounded down the hill through the wilderness and the dark alleys and hurried to the stable trembling with haste i led zoe out sprang on her bare back and darted off to scout the moor not a man or a horse or a live thing was to be seen in any direction once more i all but concluded i had looked on an apparition was my uncle dead had he come back thus to let me know and was he now gone home indeed cold and disappointed i returned to bed full of the conviction that i had seen my uncle but whether in the body or out of the body i could not tell when john came the notion of my having been out alone on the moor in the middle of the night did not please him he would have me promise not again for any vision or apparition whatever to leave the house without his company but he could not persuade me he asked what i would have done if having overtaken the horseman i had found neither my uncle nor death i told him i would have given zoe the use of her heels when that horse would have soon seen the last of her at the same time he was inclined to believe with me that i had seen my uncle his intended proximity would account he said for his making no arrangement to hear from me and if he continued to haunt the moor in such fashion we could not fail to encounter him before long in the meantime he thought it well to show no sign of suspecting his neighbourhood that i had seen my uncle john was for a moment convinced when the very next day having gone to wittenage he saw thanatos carrying dr southwell my uncle's friend on the other hand thanatos looked very much alive and in lively condition the doctor would not confess to knowing anything about my uncle and expressed wonder that he had not yet returned but said he did not mind how long he had the loan of such a horse things went on as before for a while john began again to press me to marry him i think it was mainly i am sure it was in part that i might never again ride the midnight moor like a witch out on her own mischievous hook as he had once said he knew that if i caught sight of anything like my uncle anywhere john or no john i would go after it there was another good reason however beside the absence of my uncle for our not marrying 
john was not yet of legal age and who could tell what might not lurk in his mother's threat who could tell what such a woman might not have prevailed on her husband to set down in his will i was ready enough to marry a poor man but i was not ready to let my lover become a poor man by marrying me a few months sooner were we not happy enough seeing each other every day and mostly all day long no doubt people talk but why not let them talk the mind of the many is not the mind of god as to society john called it an oyster of a divinity he argued however that probably my uncle was keeping close until he saw us married i answered that if we were married his mother would only be the more eager to have her revenge on us all and my uncle the more careful of himself for our sakes anyhow i said i would not consent to be happier than we were until we found him the greater happiness i would receive only from his hand End of chapter thirty